You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. My name is Pastor Nathan, and I have the joy of bringing God's Word here uh, this morning as we jump back into the book of Matthew. But if uh, you missed our series for the last six weeks, we did a series on the gospel, race, and justice, and I think it was really transformative for our church. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that online. Today, as we jump back into Matthew chapter 19, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, Pastor Jamal will come back next week, and he's going to teach on marriage at the first part of 19. But what we're going to be talking about today as we are reading through God's Word is wealth, reward, and the cost of following Jesus. So it's a little funny when Josh gets, the pastor Josh gets up and he says, why are we talking about money in church? Well, we're actually going to talk a lot about money today. Uh, and, and more like what's at the heart of wealth and then the reward. So our main idea is that Jesus is inviting us to lay down the things that rule our lives so that we can experience him and his kingdom. To, to lay down the things that rule our lives so we can experience him and his glorious kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, as we come this morning, I confess to you that I am overwhelmed by your bigness. Father, when we sing about the glory of your creation, how you spoke things into existence with your words, how billions of galaxies were spoke from your breath, how you created eight billion people who reflect your heart. Father, how can we not be in awe of a God like that? Father, I pray as we talk about our treasures, may they seem petty. May you seem big, Father. Break our hearts and draw us into your presence. May the word of God change us and may we leave this place different people. It's in your name. Amen. So I remember the day really well. I was a pastor at this church and one of my good friends called me and he said, hey, would you come this afternoon and and meet with me and some friends? We've been doing a Bible study uh, with a North African man. We've been studying the Bible. We've been talking a lot about faith and I think he's close to coming to faith. So I was happy to go. See, this man was from a, a Muslim background and he really valued meeting with a religious leader. So I went and I sat and I was expecting all these questions. But honestly, I don't know if he asked me any questions. Because the gospel was really clear to this guy. He knew it well, but he was struggling to give himself to it. He knew that to follow Jesus would cost him. Because he was from a Muslim family, he was married, his wife was Muslim. He knew that the cost would be significant if he stepped into the kingdom of God. So he he sat across from me. I remember I was like sitting here and then off to my right, he was sitting. There were tears flowing down his face. And he was saying, but if I follow Jesus, I could lose my family. I could, my wife might leave me. My mother may never talk to me again. The cost to follow Jesus is so great. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that there is a cost to follow Jesus. And as I was remembering my friend's story, I was reminded of the rich young ruler here because both my friend and this ruler are asking a similar question. They're asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And see, the the background of what's happening is is Jesus is, he's moving his way to Jerusalem for his his final ministry. And he's, he's walking along and this man runs up to him and he has this question. He has this question is, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And the question is pressing on the man. It's really an important question all the way through Matthew 18 through 20. And the question is, who is a member of the kingdom of God? Who's in the kingdom? Who's out of the kingdom? It would be easy to take a man like this who, who's religious, who's privileged, and we could cast him in with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, he's just trying to condemn Jesus, trying to trick Jesus. But I don't think that's what's happening here. This man seems to have a genuine interest in Jesus and his question. He wants to know an answer to how he earns eternal life. He's a moral man. He's a follower um, of the law and he is a faithful Jew. And I I think we can know a degree of his sincerity even by how he approaches Jesus. So in Matthew 10, which is a parallel text here, Matthew 10 says that he literally runs to Jesus. He falls on his knees and with urgency, he asks this question. So there's a sincerity or even how he dialogues with Jesus. There seems to be like, real genuineness to know the truth. But naturally, the question the man asks is one about action. What must I do? What good must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus reminds him, not what is good, but who is good. Only God is good. He's the only good one. And that theme of God's goodness and his mercy flows all through our text today. So Jesus hears this man, he answers this question. So here's what he says. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commands. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I kind of expected Jesus to say something different than, hey, obey the law. But here's what's happening here is Jesus meets this man where he is. He could have unpacked the full gospel. He could have said something like, okay, you want to know how to get eternal life? Buckle up, son. Here we go. But that's not what he said. He meets him where he is and he gets to the heart of the matter. You see, what Jesus does is he shows the rich young ruler that there's a cost to enter the kingdom of God. And friends, there's always a cost. There's a cost to following Jesus. Let's look back at verse 20. Verse 20 and 22 are really central to this text. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, Go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So through this simple exchange, Jesus gets to, through the facade of religion. He gets through the facade of power. He gets through the facade of morality. And Jesus tells the man, okay, if you wanna be perfect, if you wanna be complete, sell all that you have and give it away to the poor. And the man responds with silence, silence. He walks away grieving. And depending on your translation, it's grieving or he's heartbroken or he has, he has deep sadness because he understands clearly what Jesus is saying. Jesus gets through, through all the facades of his life and he penetrates his heart and he shows them what he loves the most. And he has to choose. Will he choose wealth and privilege or will he choose the kingdom of God? Which will he choose? The man grieves because he knows clearly what he treasures most and he chooses his stuff over Jesus. Can you imagine being there that day, the disciples watching? He's he's standing before the son of God and the son of God pierces to his heart and offers him eternal life. And he says, grieving, I choose the treasures of this world. 
And it truly is a tragic experience. It's a tragic story because instead of choosing eternal life, he chooses what feels like safety, what feels like security, what feels like control. The man has vast wealth. He has vast power, but his soul is dirt poor. His soul's empty. And Jesus moves this conversation from a question about good works. What can I do to earn eternal life to the idols of the man's life? Now, the man could have had any kind of idol. There could have been lots of things that kept him from treasuring Jesus. But what kept him from treasuring Jesus was his wealth. And I think we need to stop and talk about this. And as, as Josh mentioned earlier, Jesus has a lot to say about money. And even Paul talks a lot about the dangers of wealth. And I think we, we need to talk about that too. And as I was thinking about this, I, I had a, this memory of when I was a teenager. Um, I used to play sports uh, with this guy who was, his family was very kind, always very loving to me. And they would invite me over to hang out at their house and to go to their lake house and do all these different things. And uh, they were Christians, loved Jesus. They were a little bit different and they were loaded. I mean, beyond loaded. Like, I don't even know how much money they had. It was kind of crazy. I didn't understand it at the time as a kid. Um, but they had a lot, and, but it, their life never seemed to be ruled by money. I remember that distinctly. And one day, uh, my friend's dad, Ken, he gave me a call and said, hey, would you come help us move? I said, sure. But they were moving from this big mansion in town to a smaller house. And I remember thinking that was strange, right? But now that I reflect, is they were, lit, they were not letting money and wealth rule their lives. So they, they, they kind of downsized to this house. And we pack up his Subaru with boxes and we're driving along. We're having this good conversation, me and his dad. It's just the two of us. And he, he, he told me this, it stuck with me. This phrase has stuck with me. He said, you know, Nathan, wealth is a heavy burden to carry. Wealth is a heavy burden to carry. And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? You have a nice house, two of them right now. You know, you have, uh, you have money, you have stuff. Your kids go to the best schools in the city. What's so weighty about that? But now I understand as I've walked with Jesus for a while, as I've shepherded people, I understand what he's saying. He's saying, he was saying that wealth is dangerous because it allows people to feel self-sufficient. It allows them to feel in control and insulated from hardship. Now, money doesn't do that, right? Like no matter how much money you have, you're not in control. It doesn't protect you from suffering, but it gives you the illusion of that, that wealth and privilege create this false narrative that says, I'm safe. I'm in control of my own life. I don't need anyone or anyone else, anything else. Now, friends, this is a lie. We're being duped. And it's so easy to fall into that trap. But we need to remember that wealth is a danger to the soul. It's intoxicating. It's addictive. And once you have it, you want more and more and more. And like my friend's my, my friend's dad said, wealth is a heavy burden to carry. It's just, we need to remember that. Now, my sermon today is not railing against the wealthy. That's not what we're here about because that's not what the text is about. In fact, the opposite is happening. This says Jesus is using his words to invite the wealthy and the privileged to put their trust, not in their riches, but in Jesus and to use their wealth for the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. Give away your wealth, give it to the poor and follow me this invitation to be with Jesus. The point here is that wealth and privilege can be a disadvantage in the Christian life. You talk about a kingdom principle turned upside down. Wealth and privilege can be a disadvantage to the Christian life. Paul says a similar thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at that. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 9. 
But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, piercing themselves with many griefs. Do you see that in the text? Look at the last part. And by craving it. You see, wealth becomes a danger to the soul when we crave it, when we long for it, when that is what is treasured in our heart. We fight for those things. And Paul is saying that is a temptation, a trap, and ultimately it will pierce you with many griefs. And Jesus knew that the thing that this rich young ruler treasured most was his money and stuff. So for him, he needed to give it away. That that was what he needed to do to be able to follow Jesus was to give away the things that he couldn't let go because his wealth was more than his soul could carry. However, this passage is not calling everyone to sell their stuff and give it to the poor. That's not the point. The point is not that everyone has to be poor to follow Jesus, but that Jesus needs to be the treasure of your life. Is he? Is Jesus the treasure of your life? Is he the thing that you long for most? But also Jesus is not not saying to sell your belongings and give to the poor. Can I say it that way? Not, not. What I mean by that is Jesus is not saying that that's not something we shouldn't do. And I think what happens when we, we read a text like this, we get to maybe one of these more radical verses and we say, oh, that, that's not for me. That can't be true. And we pass over it. But I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. You see, this passage is not prescriptive, meaning we all have to do this, but it's descriptive and it's describing the life of a disciple. We should live our lives in a way that when we do radical things like give our stuff away, do something crazy generous, the world looks at us and says, that's just like a Christian to do that. That's the kind of life we want to live. And sometimes what God wants us to do is the radical. God's desire for you may be to be radically generous. He may want you to give your car away to a friend, or he may want you to give your savings away to those in need. He may want you to use your privilege to lift up the marginalized. He may want you to sell your home and move to North Africa. The kingdom of God could use more radical people. So in this moment, I want you to listen to the spirit in your life. The Spirit may be asking you at this very moment to do something a little crazy. Now, sometimes we have crazy ideas on our own. But as you listen to the Spirit in your life, if He calls you to do something that's a little crazy, it's okay. Sometimes what He calls us to do is out of the ordinary and a bit radical. But as we we dig deeper into this passage and we study it, it's clear that wealth can be a dangerous thing. It's clear that's what's happening here. But the point of the passage is not to bash the rich. I'm not trying to convince you to get rid of your fancy new car. That's not what I'm doing here. What we're looking at in this verse is it's teaching us the truth that there is a cost to following Jesus. This man had a genuine desire for truth. He had a genuine desire for eternal life. And Jesus invites him. He says, sell all you have and come and follow me. Join us. Join the disciples on this journey. And he's sad and he's grieving because he counts the cost and to him it's not worth it. His earthly treasures are more valuable than a life with God. But friends, there is always a cost to following Jesus. If you look at your life right now and your Christian life and there is no cost involved, you're doing it wrong. That's not how we're supposed to live the Christian life. 
If wealth isn't your God, there's something else. Something else is. For most of us, there is something that is taking preeminence in our life and it has to change. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Maybe for you, uh, it's a job, it's a dream, it's a, a longing to be married. Maybe it is, there, there are physical things. If you could just have a nicer car, a nicer stuff, the newest thing, maybe it's a secret sin. You love Jesus and, and you wanna follow him, but you wanna coddle this sin and you just can't let it go. Whatever is keeping you from treasuring Jesus, it has to change. Because what God wants from this rich young ruler and what he wants from us is simple. It's simple. He wants all of us, all of us. Because the call to be a disciple is a call to complete abandonment to Jesus. But not just that. It's complete abandonment, but it's also a call to complete enjoyment of Jesus. Because it's not like we give our lives away, we give our things away, we sacrifice in order to follow Jesus, and then it's this horrible life. What Jesus is doing is he invites us into a better life, a fuller life, a life full of more joy. And I was reminded how, of this, this truth that we often settle for less of God. We want just a little bit, but not too much, because too much requires a lot of sacrifice. I was reminded of a poem I read in college from Wilbur Rees called Three Dollars Worth of God. And as he writes it, he's thinking about the average man, man's view of God. And I've rewritten it just a little bit for our context. So here it is. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a warm, a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a person of a different color or be neighbors with a refugee. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. How often do we fall into the trap that we get a taste of God and we feel like that's enough, that's enough, when what God wants us is to have all of him, to experience all of him, his riches and his glory and his goodness. But we say, no, $3 is enough. But let us not be people satisfied with some of God when what we long for, what he wants of us, what he demands of us is to embrace all of the Christian life, every bit, to embrace all of him. In order to do that, it will mean that we have to lay down what we most treasure and the things that rule our life so that we can pick up all of Jesus. So let me ask you the question. When you take an honest assessment of your life, what rules your life? What do you treasure more than anything else? What rules your thoughts? What do you think about when you go to sleep at night and when you wake up and in the, the quiet moments? What rules how you spend your money or how you invest your time or what do you deeply care about? Because your willingness to sacrifice those things shows you what you truly treasure. And what God wants from us and for us is to treasure him more than anything. That's what he wants. What he really wants is for us to be like a child. Earlier, uh, Kat Fowler read in the liturgy these verses. I want to go back to Matthew 19, 14. Jesus, the, the children are coming to Jesus and the disciples are like, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. Jesus doesn't have time for the little kids. 
And Jesus said, leave the little children alone and don't keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And that's what Jesus longs for us. He longs for us to have humble, simple faith like children. And I don't mean simple as in a, something bad, but just simple like they they see Jesus and they run to him full speed and they jump into his lab. And instead of the disciples saying, stop, Jesus welcomes them. And I remember as an 11-year-old kid coming to faith, came from a hard background and to, to truly believe and to experience a God who loved me and who pursued me was radical. And in, in those few years as a child who followed Jesus, I was wildly in love Wildly in love. It's like nothing else in the world existed. It was just me and Jesus. And now as an adult, like I'm overwhelmed with anxiety and worries and I got kids and I got a wife. I got all these things that like are consuming my time. And I was just like, man, how have I gone from that to this? And that's what Jesus is saying is like, we can have that. The simple, beautiful faith of a child. That's what he longs for us to have. And that's what he longs for the rich young ruler to have is to, to cherish him, to love him, to experience him like those children did in that moment. Because you see, the kingdom of God doesn't belong to those in power or those who have wealth. The kingdom of God belongs to those who treasure Jesus above all else. Even think about Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes that we studied earlier. The kingdom of heaven belongs to these. It belongs to those who give up what they value most to have what is most valuable. Because he is. He is most valuable. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, the heart of the gospel is all about giving up power, pouring out resources and serving. The center of Christianity is always migrating away from power and wealth. So the invitation to humility and communion with God is available to everyone. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you can have wealth and follow Jesus. You can be poor and follow Jesus. You can be somewhere in between and follow Jesus. Anyone, anyone at all can follow Jesus. Jesus is available for you to treasure. But, but treasuring Jesus, entering into his kingdom, being with God comes at a cost. And we need to know that. We need to know that that there's a cost that we experience. But take heart, no matter what the sacrifice you've made for Jesus or you will make for Jesus, the reward is far greater than anything you will ever give up. So when Peter and his disciples were, they were seeing all this play out, right? This rich young ruler comes up, Jesus is engaging with him, his disciples are around him watching. They were surprised by the interaction. Here's why. Peter and the other disciples were taught that God blesses the godly with wealth and influence. That was, that was their understanding, their Jewish understanding. And to their defense, they had lots of examples of that, right? They had people like Abraham and Job and David and Solomon and many more who loved God and God blessed them with wealth. But what Jesus was doing is he was unpacking and getting to the heart of the matter. So when Jesus has this strong teaching about the dangers of wealth, they asked Jesus, well, if that guy can't be saved then who can be saved? Who has any chance? And it was a perfect question. It's like a softball question, right? And Jesus just nails it on the head. And here's what he says. 
With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now listen, that's not a bumper sticker. I mean, it is a bumper sticker, but it's not meant to be on a bumper sticker. It's not a t-shirt. What it is, is the declaration of God's radical, impossible grace. With man, it is impossible, salvation, but with God, all things are possible. And Jesus makes this point really clear with his analogy of a camel and the eye of a needle. So a camel was the largest animal in the region and the eye of a needle, I don't know if you know this, is super tiny. So to put a camel through the eye of the needle is just ridiculous. And maybe what Jesus wanted was a chuckle like you just gave me. Maybe his disciples were like, well, that can't happen, Jesus. But that's his point. Who can put a camel through the eye of the needle? Who? Only God can. God can take the wealthy and the poor and the marginalized and the proud and those who speak out of turn as Peter's about to. He can take them all and bring them to salvation. God can. And here we see in verse 27 um, that Peter shows his true self. Let me read it. Then Peter responded to him, you see, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? I love how the New Living Translation puts it. He says, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Poor Peter. (laughs) Peter, who has a mouth that's shaped like a foot, he has this boldness and he says, wow, okay. We've given up everything. What do we get, Jesus? And in Jesus' kindness, he tells him. Because the reality is these men have given up everything. Everything. Do you remember that scene on the beach where Jesus is walking and he sees Peter and his brother and he says, come follow me. And they drop their nets. They left their professions. These men have left their, their they left being tax collectors. They left being zealots and, and, and political. But they've left all these things so they could follow Jesus. They've left their communities. They've left their big network of families. They become social oddities. Like these guys are just kind of walking around doing miracles. They left, they did all of that to follow Jesus. So despite their shortcomings, their reward will be great. And Jesus teaches them that. Look in verse 28. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you in the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you will have followed me. You who follow me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. So these men have left everything and Jesus leans in and says, your reward will be great. Because these men not only left those things, but After Jesus died, they continued to be faithful and all of them, all of them were persecuted for their faith. Most of them, really all but John was martyred. They died a martyr's death in order to proclaim the name of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus tells them, all you have lost will be returned to you a hundred times over and eternal life. And I think Jesus wants us to know that. It's not just a call to sacrifice and duty. It's a call and a reminder that a reward is coming. That's why I love our name Sojourn. Sojourner is someone who is just passing through. They're on a pilgrimage to a greater land. We love this world. We love the people in it. There are so many things to enjoy. But this is not our home. There is a reward coming that's greater than anything we could experience, anything we could touch or taste here. That's why we sojourn in this land. And my greatest joy in ministry is I get the opportunity and privilege to send our members overseas as missionaries. I love it. It's, 
has constantly been the highlight of my life. And most of you get to experience it to some degree. But what you see is a Sunday morning, we bring a couple up, we bring a single up and they tell their story and we lay hands on it. It's this beautiful celebration. What you often don't see is the pain behind sending. You see, these men, these women and their children are literally fulfilling this passage. They've sold their house. They've left their brother and sister and mother and father. They've left their communities. They've left their jobs. They've done all of these things so they could follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. And I don't want to gloss that over. I don't want to gloss over the sacrifices that our people have made to share the gospel, to care for the marginalized, to plant new churches. What they have done is beautiful, but it's painful. So if you're here with us, or you are watching and you are a Sojourn Sent One, I want you to hear me. We see you. We love you. And we recognize the sacrifices you have made and continue to make are tremendous. But your reward is coming. Your reward is coming. The Lord will graciously give you a hundred times over all that you have sacrificed and you will have eternal life. But it's not just our missionaries that reap a great reward for following Jesus. Praise God, it's you and I. You and I. Now, as I look around the room and I look at your faces, well, most of your faces, as I look at your eyes, I know many of your faith stories. And I know that you have sacrificed significantly to follow Jesus. And I want you to know we see you. Jesus sees you. And your reward is going to far outweigh the things that you've had to sacrifice. And there may be things coming down the road that Jesus asked you to do that are hard and painful, but he's good. And the reward is so great. It's so great. And we need to take hope in the promise that we are journeying to a land where there's no more sorrow, no more sickness, and we can enjoy Jesus forever. I forgot. I wanted to finish my story of my North African friend. I was telling you that he was close to coming to Jesus and, and he, he knew the gospel and he, he knew the sacrifice that needed to be made and, and he was looking to me for answers and I basically was like, friend, your wife might leave you. Your mom might not call you again. You may sacrifice things that I don't even know, but Jesus is worth it. And as I'm like saying this to him, mid-sentence, he stops me and he says, I believe, I believe I know what it will cost me, what I will lose, and Jesus is worth it. Jesus is Lord. It was one of the most powerful experiences I've had in ministry. To see God pierce through a hard heart and pull him out. It was beautiful. God's gracious love. And many of you know my friend, his name is Samir. He is a faithful member of this church. And he did suffer greatly to follow Jesus. He lost many things. But if you know Samir, the joy just oozes from him. Because he knows that the reward far outweighs the cost. And that's what I'm talking about here. This great reward, the great reward that God offers us is eternal communion with him eternal communion with him. And we can't begin to understand the beauty of that. All the pain and sorrow of this world will fall away. All the anxiety and stress and oppression and sorrows that you feel right now, all of those things will end. And when they do, 
What is left is Jesus with his arms stretched wide saying, welcome home, home, fully and finally home. And that's our promise. That is our reward to experience forever eternal communion with Jesus. So let me ask you, what rules your life? What do you treasure more than anything else? If it's not Jesus, it's time to set your treasure down and follow Jesus wherever he leads. Let's pray together. Father, we come as broken, humble people with so little to offer. Father, that rich young ruler, he had nothing to offer. His riches weren't his. Our riches aren't ours. Father, but you offer us yourself. Father, may we see through the facade of the things that we have. May we not believe the lie that we're something special or what we have is unique. Father, may we see your glory and your goodness laid out for us to accept. Father, whatever treasures we have, may we abandon them and experience you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. And what God did in his graciousness is he gave us a reminder of this treasure. The night he was betrayed, he, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. In the same way, he said, this is my blood through the, through the cup. This is my blood shed for you. Jesus was giving us a physical picture of the treasure that we have in Jesus. So as often as we gather together, we take this so that we can experience and be reminded of his great love. So there should be a little cup below you at your feet. If you'll take the top part off carefully and get to the wafer, put that in your mouth and then um, you take a sip of the juice. And as you take it, be reminded of God's goodness for you. As you finish, you'll, finish as you'll stand with me and we'll sing and worship God together. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.